Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Welcome to Lighthouse Faith Podcast, where we are moving forward in truth and love. I'm Lauren Green, Chief Religion Correspondent for Fox News Channel and author of the book Lighthouse Faith. Oh, the Christmas season is upon us. Advent, it is called the anticipation of welcoming the birth of Jesus. And this time of year, you know, is so filled with celebrations and the marketing of children's toys and that special gift for that special someone. Um, and not as much time is spent reflecting on the reason for this season, which is, of course, the birth of the Savior. So with that in mind, I invited Rick Renner of Renner Ministries on to talk about the story of Christmas and why it matters. And he is a wonderfully colorful book uh, about Christmas, and it's called Christmas the rest of the story. So welcome, Rick. How are you? I'm doing good. I'm really blessed to be with you. I'm just so fascinated, you know, and the reason why your book came to my attention, because you sent me like five or six copies of it, and it was such a heavy box, and because it's fully um, illustrated, and it's colorful, and it's so wonderful, it's the kind of book that, you know, parents can read with kids, because it's not, you know, you know, it's not just for kids and it's not just for adults, but it has so much to offer. Why, why did you write this book? Well, Lauren, when, I, when we were raising our kids, we made a decision that before we opened Christmas gifts, we first were going to tell the Christmas story. Mm -hmm. So for decades, we've been telling that story. And I dug, dug deep and found out things that no one ever told me about the Christmas story. <laughs> and when you hear the rest of the story, it is amazing. And we decided that we would fully illustrate every single page of the book because I want people to fall in love with the story. It is the greatest story ever told. Wow. Well, beyond that, you know, why is Christmas important in, in terms of, you know, the liturgical year? Because Easter really is the cornerstone of Christianity. So yes. it's a lot of times people say, well, you know, Christmas was never important. The early Christians didn't celebrate it. Um, so why should we focus on Christmas and the importance of it. Why is Christmas important? Well, actually, I mean, if, if we didn't have Christmas, we wouldn't have the cross. Yeah. And what an amazing moment that God would lay aside his glory and be born as a member of his own creation. That is such an amazing miracle that God subjected himself to diapers, <laughs> that he subjected himself to needing to feed at a woman's breast. I mean, that is just total. It's humility beyond what I can even imagine. And it makes me realize that we can lower ourselves a little bit to serve others. If God could do that for us, then the Christmas message is that we can really do whatever we need to do to serve others. There is so much in the Christmas message for it. And it's also that, you know, that, you know, God being um, born in the flesh is telling us how important our flesh is, that he hasn't abandoned that part of us. 
Absolutely not. But you know, Lauren, you said that the early Christians didn't celebrate Christmas, but in fact, they were going to that cave in Bethlehem by the second century to see that place where Jesus was born. Mm. And most people have the wrong impression that Jesus was born in a stable that's made of wood. But in fact, all around Bethlehem, the stables were in caves. There were so many caves, they didn't need to build stables. And so today, when you go to Bethlehem and you go to the Church of the Nativity, it really is the place where Jesus was born. And that is the the place where Christians have been going longer than any other place in history to worship. And it is just amazing to think God was born in the flesh in that place, in the back of that cave. Wow. You know, the story of Christmas really begins with Mary, um, the young, poor Jewish girl um, and no one, I mean, because we know the story that Mary is the mother, but no one under, kind of thought, thinks about, not nice, no one, but sometimes you'd have to think like, why was Mary chosen? Why, why Mary? Well, Mary, that's a very interesting story. You know, let me ask you, if you were 13 or 12 years old and a big angel appeared to you and told you you were going to give birth to a baby without any sexual relations, How do you think you would respond to that? I think you probably would say, what in the world is this? (laughs) But Mary said, be it unto me, according to your word. She just surrendered. Well, if you study the story of Mary and what was written about her parents by early church fathers, her father was a scroll scholar. Mm -hmm. And we know from early Christian writers that they dedicated Mary as an infant and raised her to believe that she was born with a special purpose. Isn't that a wonderful message that we as parents can instill that into our children? And so when the angel appeared to Mary, she said, wow, this is it. This is what my parents have prepared me for all my life. And rather than argue, she just said, here I am. Just tell me what to do. We don't know and too much w- about Mary's parents. That's the thing. I mean, I've you know read the you know the gospels through several times, and um, th- we don't. There's not much about Mary's parents in the in the in the gospel accounts. How do we know about Mary's parents? Because so much was written by the early church fathers. Just imagine if you lived 50 years or 100 years after the birth of Jesus and you were a church leader, you would write a lot of history. Mm-hmm. And so those early Christian leaders who had the ability to write, they recorded reams of information. And so that's why I call this book Christmas the rest of the story. I dug really deep to extract things that d- just make this story even more wonderful. Mm. This the, the, You talk about... Um the village of Nazareth and Sephorus. Is that what it's, how it's pronounced, right. Sephorus? Um, Sephorus. I'm not really, I'm not familiar with Sephorus. Why is that familiar, why is that important and the relationship between the two important? Well, uh, Joseph was from Nazareth. Mm-hmm. Mary lived in Sephorus when oh. she was a little girl. Her daddy worked as a scroll scholar in the synagogue in Sephorus. Sephorus was the central administrative center for Herod Antipas in the north of Galilee. Well, just three miles away was Nazareth. Mm. And apparently they got to know Joseph while he was working in Sephorus as a carpenter. And their marriage was arranged. So those cities were very near to each other. And you know what else, Lauren? When Jesus talks about a city on a hill from Nazareth, 
you see a city on a hill, and that is the city of Sephoris. Jesus was drawing from all those images that he grew up with when he described that city on a hill. But Sephoris was marvelous. I mean, just magnificent. Mm. And that's where Joseph worked as a carpenter and met Mary's parents. Now, one of the things we think about Joseph and the carpenter, because I've heard this from other scholars that's saying, you know, because wood was not that big a deal, but that abundant in that area. And so they think he was more of a stone cutter than a carpenter. What do you what do you what does your research say? Well, he was actually a tecta, tec, a technos. That's that's the Greek word. Greek is my specialty. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it describes one who worked with stone or mosaics or jewelry or furniture, maybe even a building supervisor. And guess what, Lauren? It's mm-hmm. not a poor carpenter. Oh. This, this word would describe people that were very well compensated. And Lauren, I know this is really contrary to religious thinking, but think about it. If God was going to send his son into the world, he would send his son into the hands of somebody who had already proven themselves. Well, that mm-hmm. was Joseph. He was a young man. God had seen that he was responsible. And God said, well, this is the young man I'm going to tap for a big assignment. And he already had a very good reputation in the city of Sephoris as a tecton, as a, which is wrongly translated carpenter. Oh. He was really a skilled craftsman. Uh, this word tecton is where we get the word for technology. Highly advanced worker. That's who Joseph was. And that's why we also hear when Jesus talks about uh, you know, in the New Testament, we see the, the stone that the, um, the, the, the builders rejected, is, it has become the cornerstone. I mean, he makes a lot That's of references right. to stones and buildings, um, not a lot about wood, but that would then explain why the reference that way, because he would know about that from his father. Um, there, was very li- there was very little wood in the area of Nazareth. It was all, it was all stone. Yeah. And so it's, it's likely that he was a mason or worked with stone or mosaics or jewelry or furniture or maybe even was a building supervisor. We don't hear much about Joseph after, after the birth. Um, we, we hear maybe, maybe about, you know, when, when Jesus is about 13, remember when they have to, when they get, when they lose him, um, and they have to go back and they find him in the temple and he's about 13 years old. And then, but then we don't, we don't hear about much about Joseph after that. Um, he dis- he disappears from history and we really don't know what happened to Joseph. Yeah. Yeah. And so, but I want to move on to just the idea about, um, the shepherds in the field. We hear so much about the shepherds in the field. Who were they? Well, near Bethlehem was the shepherd's field. And today, if you go to Bethlehem, it's still there. You can drive right past it. There's a big sign that says shepherd's field. Mm -hmm. Well, that shepherd's field is where there were special shepherds, which were called rabbinical shepherds. And their job was to raise the sheep, which would be offered in Passover. Mm. So this is so amazing. So here they are watching these little lambs that are going to be offered in sacrifice. And suddenly the angel of the Lord shows up and in essence says, hey, guys, you're doing a good job, but you're looking at the wrong lamb. The real lamb of God has just been born next door in the city of Bethlehem. Go and find him. You'll find him wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. Well, that was really important. He said this will be a sign to you, to you especially. Why? Because when those little lambs were born, they wrapped their legs in little strips of bandages so that they would remain uh, blemish-free, so they wouldn't hurt their legs. 
That's what they did to all little sacrificial lambs. And then they put them in a stone manger and the priest came to inspect them. That's, that's what they did. So basically the angel said, when you get to Bethlehem and you find this babe, you'll know him because he'll look like a little lamb wrapped in swaddling clothes, laying in a manger waiting for inspection. He wow. was the real lamb, lamb of God, which means the first time Jesus ever appears in Scripture, he appears as the Lamb of God that's going to take away the sin of the world. I just think that is so exciting. That is amazing because I'd never heard the shepherds, what their real job was. And that's kind of lost it to us today to understand that. And you know, the, the thing about it is, is that we always thought it was just some random shepherds out in a field. You know? No, no, these were these were very specific shepherds. You know, that's a good question. Why did the angels show up to that group of shepherds? There were shepherds all over Israel. It's because they were Levitical shepherds raising those sacrificial lambs. And, and the angel said, you will find him. That word find in Greek is the word heurisko. It means they had to really search. That's because there were caves all over that place. And the word heurisko is also the word eureka. It will be a eureka moment. When you finally find him and you will see him wrapped in swaddling clothes, you'll know this is the real Lamb of God. Wow. I just think that's remarkable. I, I'm kind of blown away by that myself. I had never heard that before. Um, um, Pastor, let's take a break here on Lighthouse Faith Podcast. I want to come back and talk about some of the meteor aspects, meteor, not meteor, but meteor aspects of the birth of Jesus in, in, in Herod and you know the, the cry of the innocence and all of that. We'll be right back with Lighthouse faith podcast in just a moment i'm charles Payne. listen to my unstoppable prosperity podcast so i can get you making money right now whether stocks are hitting new all-time highs or in free fall mode opportunities abound so why are so many potential investors still sitting on the sidelines in a new season of my podcast i'm going to get you in the game after 38 years on wall street i'm ready to impart some lessons and get you invested in the greatest wealth generating machine in history listen anytime everywhere at foxbusinesspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast and we're back in Lighthouse Faith Podcast talking with Rick Renner of Rick Renner Ministries and about his book, Christmas, the rest of the story. And boy, I, I'm just learning so much about the Christmas story. You know, one of the, one of the things that it's very uh, – question people have questions. The, the nativity story, the birth of Jesus, is only recounted in two of the four Gospels. And they're very different, actually. You know, the um, in, in only in Matthew do we get the Star of Bethlehem mentioned and, and the Magi. In Luke, we have the census and a lot of the preamble of, of, of Mary's cousin Elizabeth and, her, and the birth of uh, – who we would know as John the Baptist. Um, and so why do you think there, there, first of all, there's only two accounts of Jesus' birth in the New Testament, and why are they so different? Well, they're different because they tell different parts of the story. For example, Luke tells everything that happened in Bethlehem, and Matthew tells what happened in uh, Nazareth. Hmm. What most people what most people think is that all these events happened in Bethlehem. They think the wise men came to Bethlehem, the shepherds came to Bethlehem. And you know why they think that? Because that's what we see on grieving cards. <laughs> but, it's, but it's not based in reality. If you come all the way to the end of Luke chapter 2, it says that after Jesus was circumcised at the end of Mary's days of purification, the Holy Family went home. Hmm. And the wise men didn't show up for two years. Wow. And they and they came to Jerusalem looking for the baby and Herod sent them to Bethlehem 
but the star led them somewhere else. Isn't that amazing? Well, that's interesting the, because the stars, the, wicked, the star, because the stars mentioned like appearing twice. The star which they correct. saw before them. Um, and the, and and when they saw the star again, they were like taken with awe, like, oh, there it is again. But the star did not lead them to Bethlehem. Herod sent them to Bethlehem. The star led them to Nazareth. And wow. that's where the Holy Family had already been for two years. And in fact, if you read Luke's gospel and Matthew's gospel, Luke uses a Greek word to describe Jesus, which is a newborn infant. Matthew uses a Greek word, which describes a little boy that's a toddler. They were looking for a toddler king by this time. Jesus was probably two years old. We know that because... Herod had asked the wise men, when did the star appear? And they said, well, about two years ago. And the reason it took them two years to show up mm -hmm. is because Daniel had prophesied that a great world leader would be born. And he was the head of the Magi in Babylon. And when they saw this star, they knew it was the sign. It took them nearly two years to prepare an inventory of gifts and treasures to present to this great world leader they had been waiting for. And Lauren, when the Magi come, it's not three lonely kings. Well, see, that's the, we don't know how camels. many were there, right? Where it could be three, it could be up to 12. But we know that Magi, each one of them would have traveled at least with a thousand people, oh, no. including a small army. And wow. that's why Herod was so upset. Earlier, Magi had tried to overthrow him in 30, 39 BC. Mm -hmm. And now the Magi are here again. He's saying, ay, yay, yay, Magi are coming. What are they coming for? And they literally came with thousands of people with them. And when they came riding into Jerusalem saying, where is he born king of the Jews? And the Greek says that they were saying and saying and saying, has anybody seen this? Does anybody know where this baby is? They were prodding the crowd. And Herod and all of Jerusalem was upset because they knew Herod was going to be upset. But by this time, Jesus was long gone from Bethlehem. He had been in Nazareth for two years. What about when they fled to Egypt? Because that's also in the account that they went to Egypt. That's, that's a fabulous story because Joseph had no work permit for Egypt. Egypt was the most expensive country in the world. Mm -hmm. And yet he was going to flee into Egypt. How's the Holy Family going to live in Egypt? Well, God made sure the money showed up on time. Mm -hmm. Those magi brought the money for them to live in Egypt during their entire exodus. Isn't that amazing? It's Philippians 419. My God will supply all your need. And the Holy Family experienced Philippians 419. God provided everything just on time for them to begin their flight into Egypt. And they were in Egypt for three years. And because of the Coptic church recording every detail of it, we know they moved 38 times in those three years. Wow. It took heaps of money to do it, but God provided everything just on time so that they could do it. You know, one of the stories, one of the elements of the story that we don't quite always get is the story of Simeon and Anna. The um, First of all, who was Simeon? Simeon? Simeon was a prophet who lived in the city of Jerusalem. He was also a member of the Sanhedrin. Anna was a prophetess who lived near the temple or maybe even on the temple grounds. And both of them had been waiting for the Messiah to be manifest. And interestingly, on that day, both of them, the Bible says, were led by the Spirit into the temple. And boom, there was the Messiah baby right in front of them. And they prophesied. 
And people think that Simeon was old because mm-hmm. he said, now your servant can depart. He was just saying, hey, if I died today, it'd be all right. Yeah. The fact is, he was not an old man, but she was very old. Yeah. So you have a, a younger prophet and older prophetess, both prophesying over this little baby. That's who they were. Very interesting. And they bring, Mary and Joseph bring the eight-day-old baby Jesus there to be circumcised or how, or dedicated? How, what is their relationship? What, how did they get to uh, Simeon and Anna? Well, they were just nearby in Bethlehem, so they came to the temple. And you know, it's interesting, the Bible says they, they offered a pigeon. People say, well, they must have been poor because of that. Not necessarily. Mm-hmm. Travelers couldn't bring big sacrifices, so they bought small sacrifices like pigeons. Mm-hmm. This was typical of somebody who had traveled a long way. They came into the temple for Jesus to be circumcised, to officially name the child. And that's when Simeon came in, and then soon Anna followed. And Mary and Joseph must have stood there with their mouth open because Simeon was renowned. Everybody in Jerusalem knew who this man was. Mm -hmm. He was reputed to have a spirit of prophecy upon him. And here this prophet is speaking over their child. And of course, he recognized that it was the Messiah. Wow. Wow. I actually want to go back to the Magi because I have some more questions about the Magi. Let's let's do it. And because one of the things that's really fascinating about that is I know we've talked about this, but who are they? And why would they have come to how would they know the star meant something? Who are the Magi? Well, First of all, Magi were a cast of priests from the East. They could have come from several places, but probably from Babylon. Uh, Daniel had been the head of the Magi when he was in Babylon during the captivity. And we do not have the equivalent of Magi today. They're the equivalent of politician. Uh, They were like low-level kings, but yet they were so powerful that with one word, Magi could install a king or Magi could depose a king. Once Magi came to the city of Rome and Nero was so terrified, he rolled out the red carpet. That's how powerful Magi were. And that's why Herod was so upset when they showed up in town. He wanted to know what in the world are they doing here? Is this another threat to my throne? But they were very, very powerful. Well, this is this is also what was very interesting and and sheds light on the whole situation because when you think about it, Herod's a king, and you think, oh, a couple of you know kings from the Orient are showing up, and he's like terrified. What what could terrify him so much? And now you're kind of explaining the context of who the Magi really are. And they came with troops. I mean, they came with an entire infantry, and so he was wondering, are they here to depose me? And, mm. and that's why he was upset and all Jerusalem with him. Wow. Wow. And so um, the time frame we're looking at, because I want to get the relationship between Daniel in the Old Testament and the Magi that show up in the New Testament. What, what kind of time frame are we talking about between Daniel and the time frame that these Magi, I mean, would they have known Daniel or would they have been the descendants of the Magi that, that Daniel um, was head of? They were descendants of those magi, and Daniel was greatly revered, which is amazing because he was a Jew. He was a prophet of God living in a pagan land, but God gave him a voice in a very dark environment, and God wants to give us a voice in a dark world as well. And Daniel stood in his place, spoke the word of God, prophesied, 
And they held on to the sacred writings of Daniel, waiting and waiting and waiting for this world leader to be born. And Magi were also masters of studying the constellations. And when they saw this particular constellation, they knew this is the announcement. He has been born. But it took them two years to get there. Most people think that they showed up immediately. Mm -hmm. How in the world are they going to show up all the way from Babylon immediately in the city of Jerusalem? That's a physical impossibility. Well, if they they saw a star, you know, weeks before or months before, maybe that, I mean, I kind of assumed that. And and speaking of a star, like... What was the Star of Bethlehem? I've seen documentaries about this and, um, you know, just perspectives and some interesting scenarios of what the Star of Bethlehem actually was. What was the star? The truth is nobody knows. Some people think that it was Jupiter because there was an alignment with Jupiter at that time. And Jupiter was the star which announced the birth of kings. Mm -hmm. But what's interesting is when they got to Jerusalem, the star disappeared. And then suddenly it reappeared again, just like you mentioned earlier. Mm -hmm. But the second time it appeared, it did not behave like a star because it led them. And stars don't lead you. They they can't do that. Right, right. So so it seems like the second time it must have been some kind of a supernatural sign which led them to Nazareth. So they had a, a regular constellation in the sky that told them of the birth of a king. That they would yes, that would normally be the constellation, the alignment of Jupiter or whatever, and that would alert them to the birth of a king. But then the yes, second and it's re- time— and it's, re- and it's recorded in history. There was such an alignment in right. the constellations exactly at that time. And what are we talking about at that time? Because there have been a lot of different times that saying, okay, well, December 25th is not the, the, the date of the birth of Jesus. It's probably in the, in, the, in the fall, like September, or maybe in the spring, like March. What does your research show? It's probably in the spring. Mm-hmm. Pro- probably in the spring. But you know what? Who cares? He was born. Yeah, <laughs> I, think that's, I think that's what's important is that, you know, the Christians actually sort of usurped a sort of a pagan celebration of, of light or something in December to create, um, to, to celebrate Christmas, because no one really knows the exact date of the birth of Jesus. The, the most important thing is that he was born. And, you know, in Philippians chapter two, it, it says that God laid aside his glory, reached out, took on himself human flesh. I mean, that is just amazing. Even the pagan world at that time had a hard time embracing that because they couldn't understand the concept of almighty God taking on flesh. Well, I think people have a hard time today understanding that because if you're understood, because a lot of times people want to create in Christianity this story of, you know, if you do good, God will bless you. Um, It's about, you know, how you treat people. That's what Christianity is about. And we've really lost sight of the actual gospel of God becoming and taking on flesh and dwelling among us. It's all about redemption. It's really not the story of a baby in Bethlehem. That's just where it begins. That baby was born as the Lamb of God to die on the cross to take away the sin of the world. He was introduced in his infancy as a lamb. When John the Baptist introduced him, he said, Behold the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. Finally, when you come to the book of Revelation, Jesus is still the Lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. Jesus was slain for me and for you and for all of us. And that's really the story of Christmas. It doesn't end it doesn't end with a baby in Bethlehem. It ends in Jerusalem at the cross and at the resurrection. You know, um, one of the things that's very, very important to understand is how 
in the Old Testament, there are shadows that point to Jesus being born and Jesus' ministry, all these shadows. And one of the biggest shadows uh, or the indications, um, the sacrificial um, burnt offerings that the Jews were instructed to do. Uh, and it's like, well, they were, they're, they're, you know, they're killing lambs, they're killing, you know, as, a, as an atonement for sin. But these were, these were just shadows pointing towards something greater, right? That's exactly right. Lauren, I appreciate your take on Scripture. It's so wonderful. It's so, such a pleasure to be with you. <laughs> but I'm, I'm just on this idea that, you know, when you look at the Old Testament, then you, I mean, this is, I think, what blows me away and, and a lot of people away if they actually understand that the whole Bible, Old and New Testament, but particularly the Old Testament, is all about Jesus. It's it all, all about points to it all points to redemption. Yeah. It's all it's all about Jesus. Amen. So, so how can how would you help people celebrate Christmas this year and really keep Christmas in their heart not just for this season but all year round? Well, first of all, at Christmas, I think parents have a responsibility. I would encourage them to gather their kids together open the book of Luke, the book of Matthew, read the story with their family. In our family, we said no gifts open till we do this first. This is what it's really about. And it really became a featured moment of Christmas as our sons were growing up. Ask them questions. What does this mean to you? Well, what does that verse mean to you? What? Do, how would you? How would you interpret that verse? Pull your kids into the story and let it get into their heart. And actually, Lauren, that's why I wrote the book and decorated it the way it is. I want to pull people into the story, and I want kids to hover over that book and look at the artwork and fall in love with the pages of that book so that they will think about Jesus. How do, how do people get a hold of the book? They can go to renner.org. Okay. That's, that's us, R-E-N-N-E-R uh, dot org. And could they get they, it on Amazon.com? Yeah, they can. Sure, they can get it right on Amazon. Okay, great. Rick Renner, thank you so much for being on Lighthouse Faith Podcast. And this has just been a wonderful Christmas kind of discussion. It's really wonderful. Thank you for having me. And thank you all for listening to Lighthouse Faith Podcast. I am Lauren Green, and have a very Merry Christmas and a blessed Advent season. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, in these ever-changing times, you can rely on Fox News for hourly updates for the very latest news and information on your time. Listen and download now at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.